0: Today, you're going to hear Jessie's story, and she's so cool. She's a respiratory therapist, first-generation college student, a mom, and a soon-to-be PA student. This is a really good one. Welcome to the Pre-PA Club Podcast. If you want to learn how to become a physician assistant, you're in the right place. I'm your host, Savannah Perry. Let's get to it. I wanna thank My PA Resource and PA School Prep for sponsoring the Pre-PA Club podcast. So MyPA Resource is a personal statement editing service that edits only PA school essays, only edited by PAs. And most of us have admissions experience. So I am one of the editors. Definitely check them out if you need help with your content, grammar, flow, making sure that you are on track for turning in your application. And you can use the code FUTUREPA for a discount on any of their service options. Hey guys, thanks for tuning into the podcast. I hope everyone is staying warm with the crazy weather we've been having. Um, But today's episode and interview I think is a really great one. Jesse reached out. I'm so excited for you to hear from her. This is just one of those stories that as a pre-PA or PA school applicant should give you hope because her story is really cool, her experience is great, and just kind of how she came to her decision to pursue the PA profession, and I really appreciate how she is honest about the doubts she had along the way, which I think most of us have. So I'm excited for you to hear from her. Unfortunately, for whatever reason, my video recording is nowhere to be found. So this one is podcast exclusive, but we did post a new YouTube video this week with the top three interview questions you need to know. So make sure to check that out on YouTube. If you look up the PA platform, it is on there. And I appreciate everyone listening to the podcast, subscribing on YouTube, please, if there's ever a way we can do better or serve you better or answer questions for you, I am all ears and ready to listen. So, all right, we will get into our interview with Jesse. And the only thing I wanted to mention is coming up, be paying attention to social media, our next um, webinar, which will be focused on CASPA will be on March 16th. Back in January when we did the pre-PA conference, we got a record amount of questions during Erin's CASPA presentation. So I know that y'all have lots of questions about how to make sure you're ready for that. Um, So I want to make sure that we are getting prepared ahead of time. So when it's time for you to apply, it's less stressful and you can feel a little more confident in the process. But we will jump into hearing from Jessie and I will see you
1: guys later. Okay, um, I'm Jessie. I am a mom of several children, three of them I have. Two little toddlers. I think one of them's probably about the same age as your daughter.
0: Yeah, she's um, two. Mine's two right now, yeah. so.
1: She just turned two October. Yeah, so. it's fun. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm married. I'm going to school right now for respiratory therapy. Just finishing my degree this semester, and then I'll start at the uh, University of Utah PA program in May.
0: Okay, cool. I definitely want to hear more about like respiratory therapy. So you haven't even finished your respiratory therapy program.
1: So kind of. Okay. The way that it initially works is you have to have an associate's degree to work as a respiratory therapist. So I initially got my um, associate's degree at a school that wasn't even accredited for um, like university standards. And so they let me take my boards, and I'm a registered respiratory therapist and have been working for the past six years. But now, I I'm because I wanted to go to PA school, I had to go to a regionally accredited school, and it's not nationally accredited. So there's a huge difference there. Um, so I essentially had to start all over. But what they've done is they took my RRT credentials as basically a test out of all of the, the respiratory classes. Oh, wow. So I just had to get all of my generals which is really much easier
0: (laughs) interesting okay that you've actually bring up something that I don't think we've ever talked about on the podcast before which is accreditation of your undergraduate work um, which I think people sometimes don't understand and and I think when people usually run into issues it's with online programs a lot Mm -hmm. where they aren't like you said, regionally accredited, but they're nationally accredited. And that's really confusing and sometimes hard to find, like hard
1: to figure out.
0: Yes, they they definitely
1: hard. the best thing that I can suggest is that everywhere that you go that you're going to school, they should have their accreditation listed on the website. So you definitely have to do your research and kind of uh, dig in to see if that's what you want to do beforehand. Because there are some certification, or certification programs or like respiratory, um, nursing, those types of things that are all from uh like tech schools essentially and those aren't going to count towards your bachelor's degree to get into pa school so you could still have a bachelor's degree say in nursing or in respiratory from a tech school but most pa programs are going to require you to have a regionally accredited school as your bachelor's degree in order for them to admit you into the program
0: Right. Yeah. Okay. So that's definitely something people need to double check. Did you, and this is something that I think is confusing on CASPA, and I've worked with a few people on their applications trying to figure it out, but did they still include those courses in your GPAs? They did. Okay. And that's what I thought.
1: And I had to to email CASPA because I didn't know for sure. My whole respiratory uh, degree was science. And so I had to take in a lot of science at the um, university level when I applied to PA school. Most of that science background came from my um, my associate's degree in respiratory from a tech school. So CASPA still included that in there. So if you did really bad at a tech school, it's going to still show. Um, you yeah. still have a chance to try to clean that up a little bit. But... Um, they definitely did use that. It was on a grading system. So yeah,
0: see, and that's what's interesting to me that the like PA schools don't accept it, but then CASPA still uses those credits. And I mean, basically anything you've ever gotten an actual credit and grade for count.
1: Yeah, in their it eyes, it definitely makes it more complicated. I know yeah. the school that I'm going to um, at the University of Utah. Their application still requires me to send the unofficial transcripts when you apply to the graduate school after you've been accepted. But then when I actually get accepted, they only want the official transcripts from the schools that were regionally accredited. Okay. It's interesting how that, that background still plays into the decision process for yeah. the schools. Interesting. Yeah, that is
0: like a very, I guess, kind of like small nuance that I think people don't always think about. Um, but it can be really important. Um to back up just a little bit what kind of made you interested in medicine or respiratory therapy to begin with how would you end up there
1: So I actually didn't even know anything about respiratory therapy when I got into the respiratory therapy program <laughs> I had a friend who yeah I had nothing to do with medicine I never had any um I came from like a serving background and she's like you should try respiratory see if you like it so I actually applied to the program and got in um you know, at the tech school, they kind of accept basically everybody, <laughs> which is really bad. But sometimes that's the truth. So they let me in, and I actually fell in love with medicine at that point. Um, and I, when I was a student, my mom actually had a really bad surgery that went bad. And she was in the hospital on a ventilator for about a month and a half. And I was a respiratory student at the time, and I, re- I hadn't had my ven- ventilator class or anything. So um, – I had people explaining stuff to me a lot. Once they found out that I was a respiratory student, they felt like I was interested, so they would explain things a lot further. And um, I had a PA who was the surgeon who had done my mom's surgery. She was telling me about the PA profession and kind of talking about everything. And so that was six years ago and I got really, really interested in it, but I didn't really pursue anything probably until a couple of years ago. Okay. Um, and that was when I really, the bug got in my brain about PA and I started researching it a little bit further a couple of years ago.
0: Yeah. Interesting. Okay. I think like your story of how you found respiratory is so funny. It's like, the that
1: sounds like a good idea. Let's just, let's just try it kind of thing. Yeah. I had no experience in medicine whatsoever. I had not had any family members ever in medicine. I'm the first one to even graduate from high school. So wow. there I had no idea anything about it. She's like, you should just try it and see. I'm like, all right, why
0: not? <laughs> why not? No, that is awesome. And rest- and it's so funny because respiratory is such great experience for PA school that you're like already set up to succeed and like so far ahead of the game, which is amazing. Like, I think that yeah, it was really nice.
1: Great. It was funny how it worked out because I was interested in it back as a student. And I thought, you know, I'd never, I, I would never fit for that. That wouldn't be anything that I would fit with. So I just let it out of my brain. And then about four years into being a respiratory therapist, I'd worked with multiple PAs over various specialties. And I'm like, ah, I, you know, this is actually something I really want to pursue yeah. you know, and I'm interested in. And actually the PA that I shadowed, um, for, uh, that wrote like one of my letters of recommendation. She was my supervisor as a respiratory therapist before she went to PA school. Um, and so she let me shadow her cause I was telling her how I was interested in it and yeah. I just fell in love and I couldn't stop. So.
0: That's awesome. So what made you feel like initially that you couldn't do it or that it maybe wasn't for you when you first had those kind of thoughts?
1: I think, honestly, I, you know, I was still a student in respiratory. I had like I said, I'd never had any any kind of uh, experience in medicine before that. So I think that it was initially just really intimidating to me. And I know that a lot of people are in a similar situation with that. They just think that they're not smart enough or anything. And I come from a family, like I said, that I'd never... None of my family has graduated from high school, gone to college, anything like that. So I was a first-generation college student at that point. I'm like, there's no way I could ever be smart enough to be a PA, uh, let alone even do medicine. What am I doing here? So I was really overwhelmed, and I saw how the respiratory therapists were taking care of my mom. And uh, they were way too smart. And I'm like, I'm in school for this. Like, if I can't even handle this, how can I handle something where I'm making the decisions and, uh, it ended up working out and <laughs> here I am. Well, I'm glad you kind
0: of push pushed beyond those limiting beliefs, which I think everyone has at some point during this process, just because it is so kind of grueling and rigorous, even if you do have people to help you or, um, without kids, I mean, there's just, it, it's hard no matter what. So, um, I think it's really cool that you even like still pursued it and kind of stuck with that seed that was planted even if it was a long time ago um so in your respiratory therapy experience like what does that job look like which I like again I think respiratory therapy is great experience for PA school and I think It's underutilized by pre PA students as like a degree and experience because it's to me way better than a bio degree where you can't really do anything with it. Um, So what does that? Yeah, what does that job look like? (laughs) What does that training look like? A little bit.
1: So um, usually in order to work, you have to have an associate's degree, which we've already talked about, and then you can go back and get your bachelor's degree, but it really doesn't make a difference. If you want to work clinically as a respiratory therapist, you just need to have an associate's degree. It goes all the way up to a master's degree if you want to teach and things, but a lot of people that's kind of newer in the field, um, there's not a lot of master's programs out yet. Uh, but as far as the um, actual degree, once you graduate from an accredited, it's called co-art, and it's still accredited, but it's not a regionally accredited university-level accreditation. So what they do is they um, they make sure the program is up to standard as far as the respiratory education goes, and then they um, do mostly classes just in respiratory basis. So like you do um, anything uh from anatomy and physiology to those types of things and it's important to mention here too that that anatomy and physiology that i took in my um, associate's degree did not count and i had to retake that uh when i went to the university even though i had tested out of all of those classes technically from my degree um it still was required for pa school so i did have okay. to retake that and those won't count okay um but what I, after I got my associate's degree, then I sat for my board exams. And at the time there were, uh, it's called a therapist multiple choice exam. And so uh, what it is is you have to take, uh, you have to hit like certain cut scores. One is a certified respiratory therapist, and then the higher cut score is a registered respiratory therapist. Hmm. And then if you hit uh, the higher cut score for registered, you have to sit for your clinical simulation exam and it goes through scenarios. Um, there's like 21 scenarios that oh, you take, wow. I I, believe, I don't know if they've adjusted that um, amount. It takes like four hours and it's forever long. But once you pass that, then you're registered and you can work. And a lot of places were accepting certified respiratory therapists where you didn't have to do your clinical simulation exam. Um, but a, they're all going away from that now and a good portion of the hospitals are now requiring that you actually get your bachelor's degree, so. Okay. Um, that sounds so, intense. I mean, Ooh. It, is, <laughs> it definitely isn't fun. And it required a lot of studying. I imagine it's very similar um, to how you take your pants, but I, you know, it's not as hard as the pants because there's a million different things on the pants that you're learning where respiratory is more focused on like the cardiopulmonary system. But,
0: well, that's like the yeah. hardest. Well, that's what's so interesting. So cardiology and pulmonology together make up the majority of the pants.
1: Which is what um, I'm banking
0: on. Yeah, so like you, that's why I say like you are so set up to be successful Um, because that stuff to me was so hard to learn without any background, especially just on paper. And I think, you know, sometimes people ask about what to do electives in. And I kind of wish I did a cardiology elective just to try to solidify more of that knowledge and, and see it in clinical practice. Um, so, yeah, you are set. And, like, we didn't have to do any type. Well, okay, so we didn't have to do simulation on pants. But, like, during PA school, you do a lot of, of that kind of testing. Um, but it's not, I don't know, it's always a little more pressure in a standardized setting. Um, so it's not quite like yeah. that.
1: But thankfully um, it was yeah. all electronic. It wasn't on it oh, was interesting. like on okay. the testing thing and they would pop up scenarios. Um like if you ever look on Instagram and you see people post questions. Yeah. It was similar to that, but it would be like six questions in a row related to the same case. And then you would say like what would you do next? What would you do next? kind of a thing. So you're basically like a scenario would be someone's coming into the ER and they're short of breath and their history is this. What would you do? Kind of like
0: oh that. Yeah. yeah.
1: Which we do that often. That's yeah. The scary part is that people think a lot of times that these emergency physicians or PAs or anybody are, are like calling the shots in the ER and they are, they definitely are. But when someone is short of breath, everyone is running around doing their own thing or like in a code, everyone is doing their own thing. And you want to think that it's this perfect little algorithm that you follow, but really you, like, we know we go straight to the head of the bed, we bag the patient, we're we're the airway part of that, and then yeah. we set everything up for incubation, and we just sort of do that, or... If someone is so short of breath, like say from asthma, we just start a breathing treatment, and then the physician will order it later because we just have to, you know have to have a little bit of autonomy in that way yeah. in order to take care of the patient because they're running around with like fifteen other patients in the e r and they can't keep up with all of that, so we have to step in and do a lot of that,
0: yeah, I mean, and that's it, so like my husband works at a hospital, I work in a clinic setting, but like hearing him and all of my friends who work in hospitals, like how important, what an important part of the team respiratory therapy is um, because you're so specialized and, um, and to be honest, like, yeah, sometimes they could do what you do, but they don't want to, like you're the expert and they want you to be the one to do it. Yeah. Um, especially in those like emergent settings, ICU settings, kids. Um, and, and that's, that's the crazy stuff I remember I had a c-section with my daughter and I remember getting wheeled in and and they had you know they always have it set up like just in case and those teeny tiny little tubes they have for babies that it freaked so me hard. out oh yeah like
1: that yeah uh, I that my daughter did, put us ooh. to the test she decided she wanted to um uh, quote-unquote code when she was born and they did chest compressions and everything and the respiratory therapist was actually somebody that I had previously worked with I worked in the NICU for a long time and so I knew her well and she's like we're doing this now we're doing this now and I could follow along and that was helpful but I can imagine it'd be so terrifying for somebody who knows nothing about medicine and being in that situation where they're yeah working on child well, that's like, so oh, yeah
0: I don't know if it's better to know stuff or not know stuff honestly but yeah. um but yeah my daughter she took them she I forgot her like APGAR score she took a second to like warm up and but she was fine um it like took a minute to cry and stuff and they had to I think clear her out I a little like bit but
1: that we have or as healthcare professionals, everybody who is in healthcare, for some reason, when they have a child, something happens. Something happens yeah.
0: Without. A doubt. Yeah, we yeah we talk about that at work too. Like we, I don't know. It's it is weird how you feel like that. Uh, yeah, but then you like don't want to talk about it because you'll jinx yourself.
1: <laughs> but, um, It's there in the back of your mind. You're like, I just
0: know. I know. <laughs> what areas have you worked in, or like, what kind of schedule do you have?
1: So typically as a respiratory therapist, you can work anywhere from eight hour shifts to 10 hour shifts. And most often it's 12 hour shifts. So we do three 12 hour shifts a week. Okay. Lately it's been a lot more because oh, yeah. of COVID, but um, we've had a lot of uh, people working like five or six shifts a week at 12 hours a week. Um, myself included. It's been crazy, but yeah, uh, that's the typical schedule. And then um, I've worked current, like I worked in the NICU for about a year and a half. And then most of my other experience has been a division between hospital and long-term. Okay. And I, did, I've, I feel like I've worked so many jobs, it's insane, but um, most of them are like simultaneous. So I'll be doing a long-term job, PRN, and then I'll do a hospital job where I'm full-time. Um, and kind of jump back and forth between the two, but,
0: um, yeah. Is there a lot of demand for RTs? Well, I guess there is right now, but in general, like, is that something where there's, it's pretty easy to get a job?
1: Yeah. I found that it's pretty easy afterward. There's a lot of people looking and right now we're really short staffed, but we were before COVID hit anyway. Oh gosh. And so we've had a lot of travel people and there's a lot of opportunity for those people who want to travel. Um, Especially right now with everything going on, but even before then people were making, uh, like $4,000 a week traveling. Oh my which gosh. Is that is insane. like, wow. I have a friend who actually just, he's a traveler that he's working with us now and he just got back from New York when they had their whole situation happen. Yeah. And he said that he made a thousand dollars a day as a traveler and he worked five to six shifts of the week. So, it, they need people bad. That's insane. <laughs> right now, wow. I don't make anywhere near that. Yeah,
0: when it was bad. What, um, so did were you taking care, or have you been taking care of COVID patients?
1: Yeah. Every day, multiple times. We've got, our ICU only has about 20 beds, and it's chock full. And oh about gosh. half of them are um, COVID patients, yeah. and probably about six of them are um, intubated and critical. And we're in a kind of weird spot in the valley where we have the University of Utah on one side of us. Um, so they get a lot of the major cases. Um, and then we have, uh, in Utah, we have a, a it's like a, Business called Intermountain, mm-hmm. and they own most of the hospitals in Utah, uh, like the bigger name ones. So they're on the other side of us. So we're like this little tiny hospital, sort of centered in the middle of them. So we're just getting all of their overflow. Gotcha. And we have a lot of that. We have a lot of like transient population that comes to us. A lot of drug overdoses and mm-hmm. those types of things. And so we're managing like the airway and the ventilator. Um, on those. We deal with anybody who's coming in with any kind of asthma problems, any difficulty breathing. We don't get a lot of kids because Primary Children's Hospital is connected to the University of Utah, and everybody just goes there. Okay. Um, and so we, we don't get kids very often. We do occasionally for like little things like a head laceration or something, but for the most part, they all go there unless it's really critical.
0: Gotcha. Um, uh, well. But... Oh, well, fingers crossed we're seeing the light at the end of the tunnel maybe on some of this I don't know yes, we've um, all gotten our vaccines
1: now they've come out yes and, me too uh, hopefully <laughs> yes. that'll help hoping so um okay let's
0: transition to talking about PA stuff so you had to take some classes you obviously were getting great patient care experience was there anything else application-wise you were doing to prepare before you actually applied?
1: Yeah, so it kind of all, it was weird for me. It sort of all worked out because I hadn't decided that I really wanted to be a PA until about two years ago. And at that time I had, um, uh, when my daughter was born, I was actually in my first semester going back to school to become a PA. And I had to withdraw from the entire semester because she ended up in the NICU after she was born. And so my priority was obviously to take care of her. Yeah. So I withdrew from that. And so that was a huge red flag, I think, on my application that they were like, hey, what's going on here? But I addressed that in my personal statement, just saying, you know, okay. I've had this happen and it didn't stop me and I was still persevering. And I think if you mention something bad, just, you know, do it quick and move on. Yep. And I think that helped, but I had the following semester when I, I still continued, I actually decided to do something really stupid. Oh no. Please don't do this. I took four science prerequisites in one semester.
0: Um, and and you were working?
1: And I was working full time and I have three kids. Oh my and gosh. Really terrible idea. <laughs> don't no, do it. No. I ended that semester with all B's and- That's still impressive. But I really wanted to apply to the University of Utah, and they only require four prerequisites, Mm -hmm. uh, five, but they have like a chemistry course, anatomy, physiology, and then some kind of biology. So I was like, well, I'm just going to take them all at the same time, get it out of the way. And that was really (laughs) a terrible mistake. (laughs) I should have spread it out a little bit more, but it worked out. And I, you know, I applied. And I didn't think I had a chance, and I'm like, I'm gonna have to get more hours and more. Like my, I had, my hours were great, but I had, I'm gonna have to get more prerequisites and stuff for, to get into any kind of program. And to my surprise, they offered me an interview, and I was like, I am not qualified for this, what? And I had, I have all the science background from my respiratory degree, which I did well in, but I didn't do well in the rest of my degree. I ended with, like, a 3.3 GPA total, and my science was lower than that. On CASPA? Yes. Okay. And I thought it was going to be better because I had my – I had, like, a 3.9 in my other associate's degree, but CASPA sort of um, averaged things out, Mm -hmm. and it – was a lot lower than I anticipated, which was yeah. fine. I was still above the minimums. Um, but then they, uh, sorry, my daughter's just walking in. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, they said that basically um, what they liked about my application was like my respiratory experience. And they, yes. they asked about. Aww. We can
0: break if you need to go handle it. Mine's sleeping. I think she should be. Perfect. Well, it doesn't matter. She's coloring on the wall. Exactly. (laughs) Yes. There's no telling. It's
1: never a good thing. Yes. (laughs) But yes. Anyways, um, what happened was uh, they said that they liked my uh, experience as a respiratory therapist and that stood out a lot, even though my GPA wasn't really fantastic and my... Um, classes weren't I didn't have a ton of prerequisites so I just did the minimum of what they needed as far as the academic portion goes and I feel like if you meet the minimum go ahead and apply because if not then you never know and I would have had to wait an entire year to go when I would like I got an early acceptance
0: that's amazing
1: and so I have no idea what they saw in me <laughs> it well, had to show Yeah, I mean, your experience
0: is impressive. You have a ton of hours, but it's high-quality hours, too. And I think, and yeah, and, like, people get into the debate of, like, what's more important, patient care hours or GPA, and there are some schools that have a strong preference, but usually schools want a mix. And, Mm -hmm. like, obviously, from your experience and seeing the classes you took all at the same time and what you've been able to juggle – they can tell that you're gonna be a great PA student, and so like that, like I, I think that speaks for itself. Um, but I'm completely with you. If you meet the minimums, go ahead and apply, just because you never know. Was that the
1: only school you applied to? I applied to two, and okay. I had a big a problem. I actually posted this on the um the pre PA club yeah. On Facebook anybody else had an issue but I applied to Stanford as well just randomly because I'm like why not at Stanford <laughs> um and they immediately rejected my application and they said that they were missing half of it and so that part was weird that hmm. um and so I contacted them and I contacted CASPA and Casper was like sure enough half of your application missing so like we're happy to resend it and I'm like well I already got accepted to the U so there's no point <laughs> that was my pop choice so Oh um, wow!
0: How weird.
1: Yeah. So I don't know, and I guess no one else has had this issue that I've talked to, and they said nobody else has been dealing with it. But I, I submitted my applications in a different state, and the internet was not great. So I'm wondering if it had something to do with that.
0: Who, Who even knows? knows but... hey, it was meant to <laughs> be, and
1: know. you're good.
0: So
1: yeah. Program's kind of one program. A little bit of both
0: <laughs> yeah no that like that's amazing um i like i i think that's awesome are you gonna have to move for school or are you good
1: nope i live no. five minutes
0: <gasps> that is so no. perfect like yeah it's good me literally me. i only be. applied
1: to the one school because like i said i didn't have any prerequisites so i didn't have that many and i thought yeah. i'm gonna have to go for a whole other year to get more prerequisites post back, and i didn't end up needing to that's uh, awesome. I met the minimums for the school that I was applying to and I actually took the GRE and I did really bad on oh, no. uh, the GRE. <laughs> so I was going to apply to a couple more programs that I met the minimums for, but I didn't because they required the GRE and there was a minimum and I blew that out of the water and didn't even make anywhere near that. So <laughs> it's a good indication that GRE is not everything.
0: But... Oh no, definitely not. Um, I had a question. Oh gosh. So Jerry, and you had tons of experience. Um, oh, did you apply early? When did you submit? That was my question. So I
1: submitted two days before the deadline. Oh wow! Do um, they, did they do rolling or August no? First, yeah, did on August first. I submitted at the end of July, and um, that's another reason I didn't have any idea that I was even going to get in because I'm like, oh, I'm I'm applying so late, but they don't have rolling admission. Okay. And they, do everything with the application at the same time. Gotcha. So I feel like that helped, but I would recommend applying as early as possible because that gives them a lot more time to review your application uh, where, uh, mine was just like thrown in their face, and thankfully they snatched snatched it up and decided to go with me. Um, I feel like I I really feel like, and I
0: hope that you're like I think your stories gonna be so inspirational to people who feel like because because the questions and you see it if you're in the Facebook group, you know, is it is this too late to apply or can I get in with this X Y Z? And there's just never like a black and white answer to those questions because there are people who get in right when you apply at the deadline or there are people who get in with a lower GPA or applying to one or two schools um or they get off the wait list I saw a post like two days ago where a girl got off the wait list and to start tomorrow she was like I start tomorrow and I was like I'm stressed out for you but
1: so excited but like that's crazy um yeah. Especially right now, I'm starting in May and there's already so much for me to do to get prepared that I feel like if I started tomorrow, I would probably cry, but I would do it, but I would cry. Right.
0: And that would be completely valid. Like, I think if you get through PA school without crying, you're like a different breed of person, honestly. yeah you are super super woman if you can go through PA school and not cry um but what what tips as a parent do you have for people who are trying to either balance kind of like pre-PA getting ready to apply and like being a student and working full-time and being a mom or dad or parent like what what have you found like works for you or didn't work for you and your family and every family is different but like how, how do you kind of handle that?
1: So I'm lucky because I have my husband and he's um, been so good about everything. But the people who don't, I would recommend take it slow. Uh, don't just try to rush into it. It's not going to be something that you can just do overnight and assume that you're going to be a PA tomorrow kind of a thing. It's, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day and it's just that you, you have to try to take it slow and, and process each step of the way. Don't take Four classes in one semester that are prerequisite. That's don't a lot. Do that. Listen to my advice, please. please. Um, but the uh, the best thing in my advice is just to take you know take it slow, take one thing at a time, um, and then just don't try to plan too much. I found that if you plan too many things, other than like major exams and stuff like that, then you end up getting bogged down and overwhelmed. And I, you know, I have a messy house all the time and I've made my priority school. And so when people come to my house, I'm like, sorry. <laughs> it's not insane, but, uh, it's something that, you know, days off, I'll work on my house. But when I'm working, I just, uh, downtime, I'm studying constantly at yeah. work and, uh, everybody that is there, pretty much understands because most people are in school for something or they've been through medical school of some kind. Um, And so most everybody understands. And I think that as long as you just focus on the end goal and try to keep your mind positive, then I think that'll really help.
0: Yeah, that's great advice.
1: Do you know what area you want to end up working in? (sighs) I have no idea. I have... I've kept my options open and I've told that it's probably a good idea to just let the rotations decide Yeah. Uh, because I, a lot of people expect me to end in something like pulmonology or critical care of some kind. And I've done that for so long, I kind of want to get away from that. I'd love to do something in just like family practice or a chill clinical job that's yeah. not running around chasing after people that are trying to die on my shift every five minutes. Um, (laughs) I feel like that would be a nice change of pace. But again, I could fall in love with it as a critical care PA on the other side of things. So who knows? And I'm just going to let my rotations help me decide that. That's awesome. Well,
0: um, I'll, it's it's crazy. It'll fly by. Like, it'll go by so quick and then you'll be making that decision. So, Uh,
1: I'm (laughs) excited.
0: Yeah. Where can everybody
1: kind of like find you or contact you or if they have any questions? So I'm on Facebook, you can just search my name, Jesse Gavin. And you're I'm in the group there. on the, I'm in the group okay, cool. on, that's on the PA club. And then I have an Instagram, I'm not the most active on it, um, but I'm trying to be, and I'm trying to post, post more stuff like PA and pre-PA related, um, so I can help people a little bit with that. So it's, uh, it's Jesse's Anatomy. I stole it from someone else, but I thought it was really good, so. No, that's good. I, <laughs> it's there. But it's J-E-S-S-I-E-S anatomy
0: awesome okay well we'll make sure everybody knows where to find you when they have all the questions but thank you so much for sharing your story thank you for having me
1: you've been awesome